0: Welcome. You're listening to Grace Capital Church Podcast. Truth is defined as that which is true in accordance with fact and reality. Don't facts change? So does that mean that the truth can change? Where do you find truth? Is it in the clouds? Or maybe maybe it's in media? Is it... Is it in government? Because in the world of relativism, what voice does truth have? Or is it lost in opinion, perception, or worldview? See, through the chaos, we strive for something deeper, more profound, unchanging, permanent. We desire what is genuine, real, truth. The truth, it does exist. It is real. It's Jesus. He is absolute. He is unchanging. He is our hope and our heart's deepest desire. Truth isn't just a word. It's not just a concept. Truth is a person.
1: Veritas, meaning truth. It's interesting that the world we live in today is actually. It's kind of strange because people have been trying to find truth. They've been trying to find the solution to this inner thing that they have felt that they can't explain. Something's drawing them to find truth, but as they look for truth in the wrong places, I don't know, whether they're looking for truth in nature, looking for truth in their relationships, in you know, all these different things that people are trying to pursue, finding satisfaction, and where it really is they're trying to find the meaning of life, problem is is they're looking in the wrong places in our world today that we have so many places to look we have so many things to preoccupy us but is there one truth is there one absolute truth that we should be looking at and i think the answer is yes the problem is we've looked to too many places So we've really got to come back to this place of going back to, if truth is absolute, where do we find it? And we find it in God's Word, which we know, and hopefully you'll discover. But we've got to go through the story of God to understand where this truth is found. We've got to start at the beginning. We've got to go to the end. We've got to understand that God created us to be in a relationship with Him then we go into this fallen world and who's Satan and this old covenant shedding of blood. It's kind of a gory scene. But what I have come to realize is there is truth to be found. And we need to come to that place of, of receiving that truth. And we can't just stop in the beginning or the Old Testament. and Then we've got a journey to Jesus and then we got to understand what he's done for us and how he went to the cross. What all that means but then we can't stop there either. Then all of a sudden Jesus leaves this world and he gives us the Holy Spirit. And, and then we find ourselves in a place and time. And where is our place in this story? And I think that's the question all of us need to have. Is if there's absolute truth and we have a place in the story of God. in where do we fit in to this journey that God has been placing us on? Again, we can't just stop with the Holy Spirit. We've got to then also go to the end, the very end of the book, which is talking about Jesus' return in a new kingdom, in a new world, this new Jerusalem. Many times we preach through the Bible on just little segments of it, but this journey that we're going to take you on, on this series called Veritas, Truth, we're going to look at the theme of of God. We're going to say from the beginning to the end and everywhere in between, what is God doing and how has human beings fit in the middle of it? And we're going to explore truth together. I'm asking one thing from us, to be faithful week after week, to be a part of this series. You do not want to miss even one Sunday. Because we're going to dive into subjects we've never gone to before and we're going to discover something together that's going to be magnificent. And what we're going to discover is we're going to just discover truth. We're going to just discover Veritas. Join us for this amazing journey going through this series of understanding God's story, His truth, the absolute truth as found in the Word of God.
2: Well, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1, that's how this book starts out. If you go to John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Sometimes it can feel a little bit presumptuous to just read those verses, to make those claims. For us here, if you call yourself a believer, if you're a Christian, if you've grown in the church, if it, most of us, I would say here, have kind of the, the foundational understanding of, that this here is truth, the Bible, God's Word. It's been given to us by God, written by man, 100% written by man, but also 100% written by God. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, men wrote this book over centuries Kings, shepherds, tax collectors, fishermen, prophets, their words were put down in this book, and we understand it as truth. We understand it as inerrant, which means there is no conflict, there is no error. 100% of God's word is true, all of it. And it can stand on its own. It doesn't need anything else to back it up or support it or help it along. However, many in the world would argue. Many in the world would say, that, well, it's, it's just a book written just by men. Many in the world would look at it and say, this is a book that's been used century after century after century to manipulate people, into conforming to a certain dogma, a certain belief system, a certain understanding of how their world works, to control and create behavior modification. Arguments would be made, and and tensions would rise. A clash of opinions, a clash of thoughts, a clash of ideas. Wherever you find yourself today, I, I want to start out by just saying that I don't believe you can prove Christianity like you can prove mathematical equations. I don't believe you can prove Christianity through scientific proof. I, I believe that, yes, evidence is important to, to support our beliefs, to support our understanding, to support our faith, and that's the key word, because faith is required to believe any of this and all of this. Evidence is important, but a step of faith based on historical evidence. And we can look at historical evidence. We can look at facts. We can look at historical truth and documentation that has gone throughout the ages. Historical evidence of a man named Jesus who walked the earth historical evidence of a man named Jesus who taught different things, who who gave a different way to live and made some very bold statements, revolutionary statements. We can look at the historical evidence of a man named Jesus who walked the earth and said these things. We can look at the historical evidence of a man named Jesus who died. It's been documented, not just within Scripture, not just within religious historians, but worldly historians, it's been documented. It's also been documented of his resurrection. Hundreds of eyewitness accounts of Jesus being seen even after dying and being gone, being away from us for three days. There's, there's historical evidence that shows who Jesus is. If we can look at this historical evidence and understand that Jesus is truth, then we have to come to the conclusion that God is truth. And if we come to the conclusion that God is truth, then this book, every word written, is truth. Bottom line this is our baseline, this is our foundation. Before we look at Genesis, before we look at the beginning, before we look at creation, before we look at anything, we understand that the Bible is true. There's a thing called textual criticism. Textual criticism helps you understand, helps you know what the original writers meant. When you look through scripture, it, it, it's used, textual criticism is used to determine the accuracy of a copied manuscript. Manuscript. Year after year, century after century, this book has been handed down age after age after age. Transcripts that have been passed through history and they, they look at the, 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 the highest volume of the earliest texts and, and their parallels to each other. The greater the textual reliability the less chance that transcripts content has been changed over time. Multiple copies can be grouped together into text types with with some judged closer to the hypothetical original than others. Differences often extend between minor variations and, and they may involve, for instance, interpolation of material central to issues of historicity and doctrine, such as in the ending of Mark 16. The books comprising the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament, the two are almost but not exactly the same, were, we're written largely in biblical Hebrew, with a, with a few exceptions in biblical Aramaic. Today it exists in several traditions, including the Mazordic Mezo- uh, text, the Septuagint, the 47 books, which is a Greek translation which is widely used in the period from the 3rd B.C. to roughly 5th century A.D. and still regarded as authoritative by the Orthodox Christian churches. The Samaritan Torah, the Westminster, containing the 39 modern books and others. Variations between these traditions are useful for reconstructing the most likely original text and for tracing the intellectual histories of various Jewish and Christian communities, the very oldest fragment resembling part of the text of the Hebrew Bible so far discovered in a small silver, silver amulet dating back approximately 600 B.C. and containing a version of the priestly blessing, may God make his face to shine upon you. According to the dominant theory, Greek primacy The New Testament was originally written in Greek, of which 5,650 handwritten copies have survived in Greek, over 10,000 in Latin. When other languages are included, the total of ancient copies approaches about 25,000. The next ancient text to come close to rivaling that number is Homer's Iliad, which is thought to have survived in about 643 ancient copies. When a comparison is made between the seven major critical editions of the Greek New Testament, verse by verse, 62.9% of verses are variant-free. That means that when you look at the books and you look at the New Testament and you look at the, the different findings, the different editions that were there over the centuries... You bring them all together and they're still the same. The Council of Rome in 382 under the authority of Pope Damasus I issued a canon and his decision to commission the Latin Vulgate edition of the Bible in 383 was instrumental in the fixation of the canon in the West we can understand through textual criticism that this book is true, that this book is accurate, that this book was not added to. Matter of fact, this book actually speaks to a warning, speaks to a danger in adding to scripture. Don't speak for God, he'll take you out. But what we can find is that this book is factual, this book is authentic. This book is real. This book is truth. This is our foundation for all that we believe. And yet the debate rages on and on and on. The arguments, the war on religion, and I'll say, let the war on religion go on because I know the end. We know the end. Let, let the war, let the debate go on. But let us, and I say this time and time again, quoting scripture, let us always be prepared to give reason for the hope that lies within us with gentleness and love. There will be debates, there will be wars, there will be conflict and tension, all based upon a belief system. But let us be able to define and give great understanding to others with gentleness and love not with harsh arguments, not with insults. I think we've got a history of doing that very poorly and that should stop. The truth is no matter what fact you hear, no matter what discovery further proves the existence of God, there will always be an opposing side chipping away at the truth of God. The question is, if there is a God, what does that mean for me? If there is a God, if there is, you know, who is he and where is he? And how do I know which one is the one, the true God? Because there's different conversations about different gods and who should I believe? Which religion should I follow? The truth is in the Bible. The only truth is in the Bible. I say the only truth, the supreme truth is in the Bible. And it has to be found there, because that is where we know and understand this God, the origin. It's a stumbling block for many. And and we're told that it would be a stumbling block. This is absolute truth. And for so many, there's no such thing as absolute truth. There's all kinds of gray areas. People will argue that within this, for instance... In the book of Mark, that we read when we receive communion, and I loved it this morning just to see some reactions, even though it wasn't planned. In the book of Mark, we read that Jesus took bread, and they ate bread, and then took wine, and they drank wine. But in the book of Luke, Jesus starts with the wine, and then goes to the bread, and somehow we've built this tradition and probably had some ruffled feathers this morning. Wait a minute, no. You're, t- you're doing it wrong. It's bread then juice, Mike. Come on. <laughs> Calling Foursquare tomorrow. This book is a stumbling block for many. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. We have it on the screen. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The very thing that you wrestle with was already predicted. The very thing that many people wrestle with was predicted. The very thing that many people wrestle with has been wrestled with for ages. Prophesied even before you and I were born 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 23 talks about we, we, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. He is the stumbling block. And nonsense to those who choose not to believe. It's based on a belief system. You can choose to believe or choose not to believe. The Bible points to Jesus which is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And so many people, well, that's, that's not very touchy-feely. That's, that's not very, that, that isn't a very happy message because what about my other friends that believe this way and believe that way? And I can't make apologies for what Jesus says. I can't make apologies for the red letters within this book. He said it. And some things you just have to take on faith. He said it. And some things you just have to listen to and accept. That should sense, uh, build within us a sense of urgency to be able to share the truth with others. To be able to pray that God would re- remove blinders from people's eyes. That minds would open to the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. We can look at historical evidence that proves the existence of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. We can see that Jesus is validated through sources outside of the Bible. If Jesus is truth, then God must also be truth, which also shows the truth of this book. The bigger question is that we've all kind of, we read this unsettling feeling within us because we don't always agree. If everything in the Bible was about us living for ourselves, living for our happiness, living for getting the stuff that we want, that would be, wouldn't that be a great way of life? Wouldn't that be a great religion to follow? It's all about me. And you could say the same thing. It's all about you. I'm not saying it's a religion all about me. But what if, what, if, what if within this book we could read and it's all about, you know, God just wants you to be happy. God just wants you to be just full of joy all the time. God, there, there, there will be no sorrow. There will be no grief. There will be no hard times. That's one of the biggest things that people wrestle with when they try and rectify this whole thing about a God out there who loves us so much. And yet why, why, why? so many things happen that we would never wish for anyone? Why do people die without reason? If everything in the Bible was about us living for ourselves and doing what we want, to be empowered to live the life that makes the most sense for us, who would argue with that? That's a large part of why I believe in the God of the Bible. Because it's something no man could think up. What person would create a religion that involves us giving up our lives for a purpose that is not our own? Reducing ourselves to the authority of a God out there and denying ourselves. Really, it's a a conflict of the flesh We can't run this through our flesh filter. Our our, our humanity acts like our own God. We wrestle because we operate by our own rules and we chase our own desires and and nothing or no one can tell us otherwise. Once someone challenges that, they challenge our our freedom, then, then, then something rises up within us. It's the nature of humanity. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to live who to be, who to serve. I'm going to do my thing. In Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 5, we read, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I say this in love, but this verse is telling us who we are and how we have acted towards God time and time again, myself included. That's why we need a savior. That's why we need Jesus, because we can't do this on our own. It hurts, but we should wanna come back for more. It's challenging, but God's best for us is not an easy road. It takes work. It it, it takes putting ourselves to death, to dying to our own desires to die, dying to our own our own thoughts and hopes for our own future and putting trust in the god that we read about within this book putting faith in a man jesus who is also fully god and believing the words that he says With God, it's either all or nothing. And that's the part that I think we mess up on all the time. Do you want to fully believe or just partially believe? I like some of the stuff that it says in here. You know, don't kill, don't steal. The lust thing kind of is fun. So I disagree with that. The, the, there's plenty of people that will pick apart... The scriptures and say, well, there's some really good stuff here, but there's some stuff that I don't agree with because it, it interferes with how I want to live my life. And the problem with that is you need to fully believe. You can't just partially believe. We live half a life when we believe half the truth. If we believe only half the Bible, if we pick and choose what we want to believe, we are living half a life. Revelations 3:16. Ooh, this one hurts. <laughs> Revelation 3:16. All the good verses are 3:16s, by the way. <laughs> so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Those are the red letters. That's Jesus saying that. Alleluia. You believe it all. It's, it's not a half thing. We can't live on the fence. We can't live straddling both sides. Truth, not truth. Faith, science. Some of us as believers, we've been living half of the truth. I would rather, and this one's gonna come across real well. I would rather you be an atheist. That way at least... I would know where you stand than to live just a half truth. I would rather you be an atheist so that we know where you stand. Some of us have been coming to church as an atheist, confused internally, not living for Jesus, but living according to the flesh. It's time to buckle down, to take the creator of the universe seriously. And begin to seek him. We need to end with the beginning in mind. In this new year, we need to end with the beginning. In Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's from this beginning point that he increases and we decrease. We are made less, he is made more. It's not about us, it's all about him. Our very existence is to glorify and honor God. That's why we're here. Beyond that, it's to help others come into relationship with God so that they can glorify and honor God. From this point going forward, we need to believe. The gospel has come to us. The good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of salvation. The good news of redemption. The good news of reconciliation. Of a drawing back together in right standing, in good relationship with God the Father. But it's not touchy feely, it's not easy but it is true. Over the next eight or nine weeks, now that we have this baseline set, the Bible, God's word is truth. We will begin right at the beginning with creation. We'll talk about the creation of the earth, the creation of man, creation of woman. We'll talk about God's desire to be in relationship, to walk and talk in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden. We'll talk about Satan, our enemy, the deceiver, and the fact that he did deceive and because of that deception, sin entered the world. And because of that sin that entered the world, God wanting to make things still to a point where, hey, you can be holy and we can be together still. See, God is holy. And because he's holy, he can't be with unholy. He can't be with foul, filthy sin. Sin. There was a separation when sin entered the world. And because of that, God so desperately desired, I I want you. I want you. And he made a covenant. And he established a system of atonement. And somehow, because we're foolish humans, we messed that up too. And so we'll look at the new covenant. We'll look at Jesus, the final plan of redemption for all mankind. From Jesus, we will then go into what that life looked like, the life of Jesus. We'll talk about Jesus. We'll talk about Jesus leaving us because he had to so that the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit would come. We'll talk about the empowerment and the filling of the Holy Spirit. From there, we'll go on to the life that we're supposed to live. Over the next eight or nine weeks, and Pastor Mark said it on the video, but I want to challenge you for the, pa- for the next eight or nine weeks, please, you made it here through whatever you made it through today. Today, Don't let other things hold you back from coming. Please come. But I want to encourage you one more step. It's not just about you attending. This being a very foundational series on our beliefs and why we live the way we live, being able to hopefully amplify your ability to explain why you believe what you believe to others. Our desire is also that others who do not know what they believe or do not believe anything at all would also come and they would hear. And so I want to challenge each of you that you would reach out, that you would extend invitations to people that you know that are far from God. And that they would come and they would receive opportunities to learn, to hear, to question. We might even open the cafe for debate. The life that we live, the relationship that we have with God is far too important to not live wholeheartedly, to not live authentically, and to not live contagiously. Father, I pray for each person here. Lord, I thank you for the truth of you. I thank you for the truth of Jesus. I thank you for the truth of your word. And God, I thank you that because we have a relationship with you, we have a hope for our future. I pray for each person here, Lord. Those, that who, those who know you and those who may not know you yet. I say yet. God, that each of us would grow closer to you as we do our own investigation, as we do our own reading, as we do our own seeking. God, I thank you that you promise us that when we seek, we will find. And God, I pray for each person who is seeking right now. I pray that they would meet with you. I pray that they would find you. I pray that they, God, that they would open their lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The other bit of homework I want to give you, Genesis chapter one and John chapter one. This week, it's just two chapters. You got six days. Please read Genesis 1 and John chapter 1 so that we have a starting point for next week. God bless you guys. We do have elders available for prayer at the front. We'd love to pray for you for any needs that you may have, any questions you may have. We'd love to talk with you. Drive safe on the way home. Love you guys.
0: If you would like to know more about Grace Capital Church or how to get a copy of this broadcast, please visit us online at gccnh.com.